morning harvest, and uh, boy, I needed that. Needed that a lot. Um, also, just as a celebratory item, it was uh, three years ago on this first Sunday in February that we moved into this building, and uh, God's very good, very good. Um, grateful to uh, be here with you, and uh, we began the first Sunday of this year uh, talking about one word, and that word was the word ready. Uh, we began a series that kind of was, uh, that was part of it, ready, together, go. And uh, ready comes out of Ephesians 6, uh, verses 10 through 20, four things about there that we talked about as we enter this year. Uh, strong in the Lord, uh, standing firm in the Lord, not in ourselves, standing firm and strong in the Lord, armored up in the Lord's armor, not in our, our armor, but his armor, and uh, praying. Praying at all times, the text talks about. At all times, keeping alert, persevering in the Lord. Oh God, help me, help us as we persevere and uh, give us your strength that we might stand firm, armored in you, right? Always, God, before you in, in need of your help. Uh, following ready, uh, we began with the word together, and the word together really is the core word that we're using here for this series. It's kind of taking us through March. Um, very soon here, we're going to be investing seven Sundays together on kind of narrowing in on this out of the book of Corinthians and just what does it really look like to be a together people out of Corinthians there and some uh, unique nuances uh, narrowed in on there. But uh, before doing that, I kind of made the decision, hey, we're talking about together, which really is relationship. I think one of the things that so often is just missed on the item of relationship is actually establishing a theology of relationship from Scripture. And oftentimes it's kind of like, well, relationships are everywhere, duh. Isn't that just what we do? And it's like, well, yeah, but why? And where does that come from? And what is that built out of Scripture? And so we've been working here on three Sundays. Today's the third of those three. And the first Sunday we talked about how God has ordained relationship. God is the one who designed, I'd say it this way from my background, God is the one who invented relationship. It wasn't just an after effect of creation. It wasn't just a post-creation thing that had to happen. God was actually the one who put and designed and created relationship. He created it in the beginning. We saw from Scripture. We saw from Scripture that he talks about it's going to be in the end. That God will reign with his people forever. And uh, that's a marvelous thing. But not only in the beginning and not only at the end, but it continues all the way through. We really saw that through the covenants of Scripture and seeing how that falls through the, uh, kind of under today. That, that is a, a bit of a base for what we're going to be talking about today. But through the covenants, we saw that of Scripture. God is the one who's always pursuing. God is the one who's always initiating. God is the one who's always establishing. Uh, uh, relationship, and it's just so cool. We'll, we'll build on that today. And then Matthew 22, when the Lord responds to the question, what's the greatest commandment? He gives two. It's like, you want one? I got two. And uh, love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and love your neighbor. Uh, that's it. That's it. Uh, that's what uh, God has ordained to be. And then secondly, we brought in the reality of sin has brought brokenness to relationship. Have you ever wondered why relationships are so hard? Have you? Uh, yeah, uh, because we are broken people living in a broken world. All uh, Going back to Genesis 3 with that, and we saw out, out of Adam and Eve how in, in their disobedience to the Lord, right after they, they attempt to self-cover their brokenness, and then they attempt to hide their brokenness, and, and they <laughs> blame shifts his brokenness. It's the woman you gave me's fault. Yeah, not a high point in manhood. Uh, of things, uh, blame shift, and then uh, also out of that, God talks about how one of the things that's going to come out of brokenness and sin is you're going to desire to self-rule over each other. You're going to desire to want to be your own little king, your own little queen over your own little kingdoms of which everyone around you is your subjects in your own little kingdom. And God acknowledges that in Genesis 3 right off, and, and that's the battle that we all have today. Uh, God has ordained relationships and has brought brokenness relationship. I'll just pause here for a second. Because as you look at these two, as more I think about this, look at these two and ask yourself the question, which one of these two is the central truth that drives you in relationship? 
Think about that for a second. Let me put it in a context here. So which one of these two theological truths set the basis, set forward how you approach relationship with the Lord and with others, actually? Um, which is in the driver's seat. Uh, so it could be in your viewing and doing of life relationships, uh, does theological truth, number one, function as the central driving truth with the second theological truth there that sin has brought brokenness as helpful bra- background information that, that's part of as we move ahead with number one. Or I think this is more the case than we want to admit. Or does number two drive us? In other words, does the fact that that we live in a broken world with broken people, is that the thing that drives how you go about thinking about and doing relationship? In other words, it's kind of like, listen, whenever you do relationship, hurt comes from it. And so I'm just going to do life and relationship to protect myself from hurt. Oh, and by the way, in the baggage of that, I realize that God has ordained relationship. I'm telling you, friends, that, that how you go about is critical in how you do life with the Lord and with others. And, and it drives. Well, the third truth to kind of fill out the basis here that I'm bringing, today's third theological truth, is we are called to relationship. Friends, not only has God ordained relationship, and that really should be the driving truth behind with the realization that as God has ordained relationship, relationships experience brokenness because we're all broken. Not only do we need to know that, but we need to understand that God has called us to relationship and to relationship with him and to relationship with others. And so I will I promise you this week, as I've just thought about preparing for how do I go about today, um, I came up with three ways I could approach this and just being uh, just kind of some fun and also transparency with you. How could I go about this third number one, third uh, theological truth today? Well, one, I noted down, I could go professor academic on you, even though that's not naturally who I am, but I could do it. I could go highbrow and we could talk about kind of out of scripture what's the theological items and words and language and, and kind of get it like in a Bible class kind of thing. I could do that, but I'm just so not there right now. And I don't think you want that. Maybe you do. I'm not going there. I'm not going professor academic today. Here's another one that it actually is quite easy for us preachers to do is to go preacher ballistic on you. Um, In other words, I could just charge you and guilt you. And frankly, it's honestly quite easy to do in this role. It's like, come on, do relationship, you saps. (laughs) I I got it where I'm at personally right now and uh, just uh, with things and, and probably with where you're at. Honestly, I don't think that helps a whole lot right now with this because relationships are complicated relationships are hard. So I'm not going to go academic and I'm not going to go ballistic on you. Instead, I kind of want to go to picture this together with you. Because I need this. Being totally honest with you. Because I just want to see our God. Because Our God continues to initiate and to pursue and to establish and to endure relationship with broken saps like us. And Ephesians 5 tells us that we are to be imitators of our God. And so what I want to do today is let's just take a look at our God. If we're to be an imitator of our God in this arena, let's just look at him. And let's just savor him. And let's be encouraged by him and at the same time, I think, out of that, challenged by him. Okay? So that's where we're going to go. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Get there in just a minute. 
uh, two items before we get there. If you want to do some more personal Bible study on this, I think a couple of key passages, I'll just throw them out if you want to write them down. You're welcome to. Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9, I think is key. talks about relationship with the home and what the home's supposed to look like. The home is the central place where God is interested in raising up next generations of people for him. Uh, the home is the central training grounds for life. Ephesians 5 marriage and what what a wife looks like and what a husband looks like, a wife yielding herself and a husband giving himself up for her good, like Christ going to the cross. James 4, verses 1 through 4, we talked about that earlier. Why are there fights and quarrels among you? That's a great question. James chapter 4, because of the war that's going on within our own broken hearts. Another one is 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7. What does it look like to to live with someone or to live whether honestly whether it's a spouse whether it's could be I think application carried whether it's with children whether it's with other people what does it look like to live with someone who's not interested in following the Lord uh, there's another one there I'll two three more uh, Philippians 127 God's people were to stand firm in one spirit one mind side by side together Another my life ministry verse, 1 Thessalonians 2.8, Paul says, we loved you so much that we're delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. That's foundational, 1 Thessalonians 2.8, and I've already made mention of Matthew 22.37 to 39. Um, Jesus says, love the Lord and love other people. And by the way, it's a committed, engaged, purpose love. It's not just an appreciation for, it's a full in loving the Lord and other people. And by the way, loving other people is not if we want to. The way the Lord states it, they're both tied together. As we love the Lord, we're to be loving other people. They're critical together. Those are just some other verses there. Um, second item I want to bring to attention is, is you know, on the board, I've kind of got a, uh, this screens on the side we could put notes with. But uh, you know what? Today, I just want to bring a picture up and, and to picture to say, what does it look like to, to, to be called to do relationship together? I don't know if you've ever seen or watched. I haven't participated in. I'm too much of a wimp in the Spartan games that they do. And this is it. I, I mean, I got to tell you, here's muddy people in the mud together, helping one another, even when they're tired, even when they're exhausted, even when they could go get Krispy Kreme donuts. There they are in the mud together. I'm going to leave that picture up. I think it kind of sets a tone. God, so as we enter in right now and just see you here for the coming, say, 30 minutes or so, Lord, I just ask that you would show yourself. I would ask that you would show us more of yourself and who you are and what you're like. God, this is really less about a teaching time today and more just about a, getting a, a hold of you and seeing you and adoring and being awed by you. And just in some times of silence, Here we are at your feet. You've called us to relationship. Help us see it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Genesis 3, you there? Okay, Genesis 1 is the seven days of creation. Genesis 2 narrows in on creation of Adam and Eve. Genesis 3 is the fall. Adam and Eve bite it. They sin, uh, disobey God. I'm just going to, we're going to move through the whole Bible. Here we go, guys. Verse 24, Genesis 3. It's interesting how if you're reading and you stop at the end of Genesis chapter 3, here's the last verse there. Let me read it. It says, He, God, drove out the man and, and, and the woman implied in that. And at the east of the garden, uh, at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and the flaming sword that turned every, turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. If you stopped right there and you didn't know the rest of the story, you actually wonder, is it over? Is it done? 
Did he boot him out? And, 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 and it is all over here. I mean, I would say this. God created everything, made it wonderful, and all he said was just like, just don't do one thing. Just don't do one thing. This re- mutual love thing is part of the whole design of all of that in it to show real love out of that, and real commitment and worship out of that, and not ro- robotrons that are living on the earth. And yet out of the one thing, uh, they, they bite it. And it's like, why doesn't the Godhead just go, I kind of know what's ahead. Get out. We're done. Because frankly, the Trinity was great together in eternity past. It wasn't like the Trinity was lonely. It wasn't like the Trinity needed us. And the Trinity just could have said, you know what? Let's go back to the way things were Why did God continue relationship with broken people? Because that's our God. Genesis 4, just shortly thereafter, just a matter of a few verses later, verse 8, Cain and Abel, just eight verses after they leave Eden, what are we told? Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and killed him. I mean, it's like when it gets started bad, it like just gets worse. So not only have Adam and Eve sinned against God and, and, and defamed the name of the Lord in their relationship and then cast out of Eden, now that they're cast out of Eden, we find here a short time later in the whole story of it all that brother has killed brother. Why does God continue relationship with these people? Mom, is da- Mom and dad have been disobedient and broken before the Lord, and brother kills brother before the Lord. I just have to say, if I were God, I would be done with them. But that's not our God. And that's what's so amazing. Go to Genesis 12. Genesis 12. Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, by the way, we see no idea that Abram is like looking for God. Like Abram is trying to find the great God of the universe. We don't find that anywhere. We don't sit there finding that Abram is this guy who's out there and is like really, really righteous and really wants to be able to know the God of his creator better. We don't see that anywhere in the text. What do we find out? We find out God shows up in his grace. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation. How would you like to wake up that day and have that be told to you of what's going to happen? And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse you and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I just simply have one simple question. What did he do to deserve that? Nothing. He did absolutely nothing. Why would God even consider to raise up a people and to bless them, to raise up even one person that's broken and bless them? and then bless through. Because we know out of Genesis chapter six, by the way, which turned left, which I missed, Genesis six, look at verses five and six, because out of this we have this context building up even to Abram, where it says that uh, before the flood, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to the heart, to his heart. And, and yet then we find over in Genesis 12 that God is like finding the ones who will bless. And uh, why does a God continue in relationship like that? Because friends, that's our God. Behold him and be stunned by his long-suffering love. Seriously, we need to get out of this thing thinking that we're awesome, thinking that we're some great trophy for God. 
The fact of the matter is Genesis 6 really tells the reality of who we are. And yet God continues to pursue not only relationship, but blessing upon us. Why would he do that? It makes no sense to me. Go to Exodus chapter 3. By the way, I'm just, I'm just starting. There's one simple truth today, but see the breadth of it. God continues to do relationship. And we're to be imitators of him. It continues in Exodus 3. Verse 7, here Moses is at the burning bush. Moses is not looking for God. Moses is not uh, trying to find a Lord of any kind that we get at all from the text. He's just walking his sheep. In verse 7 it says, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people. How cool is that? I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And so to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Why? Why, why, why would God do that to these people? I feel sorry for them, definitely for sure, that they're, that they're slaves in Egypt, but what have they ever done to be able to der- deserve being called God's people and God having bringing them out and placing them? They, they, they did nothing on their own. They did nothing to deserve this. God was the one who initiated and persevered and established relationship with them. And the story continues. Exodus 19 Exodus 19. If you don't know your Bible well, you're going to get more familiar with it today. Here they are at Mount Sinai. They've come, been brought out of Egypt by the hand of God. They're at Mount Sinai, um, verse 3. When Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus, You shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples for all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a set-apart nation. Why did God want to do relationship with these people that they would be priests? Priests, priests in the Old Testament. What is the idea of the priests? Priests represent God. Priests speak for God. Priests proclaim God and he's calling, he's saying that I want for all of you, this this whole people of mine, I want for all of you to, what have they done to be able to deserve that kind of position and that kind of blessing and that kind of promise? Nothing. They have done nothing, and yet God continues to pursue. And then a short time later, there they are uh, building a calf as their God out of gold. God disciplines them, but God does not remove himself from them. Turn to the book of Joshua, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. If you were here... Years ago, right before we moved into this building, we're going through the book of Joshua. Look at chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. This is so cool. And Joshua, the son of Nun, not like the son of no one. Anyway, I'm trying to be funny in here. Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shechem in, as spies, saying, uh, go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and they came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. I have a question that comes out of that. Why is it that Rahab, a prostitute, is listed in Matthew 1? as in the line and lineage of Jesus. Why would God want someone like her there? Why also is Rahab one who's listed in Hebrews 12 
as one in the hall of faith. Why, why would God do that? Why would he put up with people and even provide the opportunities for people? Like Rahab. Because, friends, that's our God. That's our God. Turn to Judges, the next book, Judges 21, the very last chapter of Judges. Page 221 in my Bible. Judges, we went through that last year. Dark time of God's people. Going through the book of Judges. Verse 25, the very last verse of Judges. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Remember this? Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And yet for all that period of time, God still is seeking to endure in relationship with them. Why? Why? Because that's our God. Uh, turn to Second Samuel, a little further to the right. It's right after First Samuel. Just look at 2 Samuel. You'll see the heading on the, the chapter there. It, it says, the Lord's covenant with David. God establishes a covenant relationship with David that, that has promise to it for what's ahead. Uh, you look at chapter 7 there, and then you go over, and it's chapter 8, and chapter 9, and chapter 11, uh, 10, and then 11. And what's the heading on chapter 11? Just four chapters later, after God has established his covenant relationship with David for his purposes and his plans, what's going on? David's in bed with someone else's wife. We are broken people. And yet, why does the Lord continue to say that he will allow to love, bless, and work through David? And why does Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 say of Jesus Christ that he is the son of David. We have a prostitute and adulterer right in the whole lineage line of Jesus Christ. Why would God continue to love people and include people like that? Because friends, that's our God. Turn to Mark chapter one in the New Testament. Mark chapter 1, verse 16. Jesus, Mark just gets Jesus right on the scene right away. Verse 16, passing along the Sea of Galilee, he, Jesus, saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. They were brothers in business together. Verse 17, and Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Why? Why did the God who came to be with mankind to go to the cross for mankind, why here does God go up to these two bros who are just regular Joes who are out fishing in their boats and say to them, come, follow me. I want to do a relationship with you and take you somewhere you cannot even imagine where you might be. Why would he do that with people like that? Because that's our God. Mark chapter 4, favorite chapter of Scripture. Jesus teaches about the parable of the four soils, and then later in the chapter, verse 38, storm comes up, and the disciples think they're going to die. Verse 38, but he was in the stern, Jesus asleep in the cushion, and they woke him, and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Imagine. I can understand their fear. They think they're going to drown. And yet they turn to Jesus Christ, Colossians chapter 1, who is the creator of all creation, 
of all things visible, invisible. He is the agent of the Trinity to create all things. And then they turn to him, and in that moment, they ask him, do you not care? Are you kidding me? I'm telling you, if I were Jesus in the boat, I would have fried them right there. Like, I'll show you how much I care. And yet, he continued to love them and teach them and do relationship with them. Mark chapter 6, verse 7, And he, Jesus, called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. Then verse 12, So they went out and they proclaimed that people should repent. Why does God not only do relationship with these guys, but why does God allow them to even uh, be able to go out in his name? He is sending them out as representatives of himself. And these are the same guys who said you don't care. These are the same guys who failed again and again, and yet the Lord continues to send them out as representatives of him. Why would God do that? Mark chapter 9. Verse 33 to 34, those guys who go out and come back and tell the mighty things that the Lord did through them, we find them in chapter nine, verse 33. And they came to Capernaum and when he was in the house, he asked them, uh, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. (laughs) Why? (laughs) Because on the way, they argued with one another about who was the greatest. No, seriously, I'm greater than you. No, 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 bro, I'm greater. No, bro, seriously, of the three of us, as we have this conversation on the road, actually, I think I'm better than you. And Jesus is like, hey, talk to me. Tell me about your conversation on the road back there. And they cover and they hide just like Adam and Eve. But we're told, these guys are talking about how awesome they are. It's just foolish and silly and sad and and so like us. And yet the Lord continues to love them. Turn to John chapter 2. We're coming to the end. John chapter 2. Jesus enters the temple. The temple is a has turned into a circus for money raising. Back in the way, the way God originally designed the whole thing was because when people from around Israel would come to the temple, uh, they would have to exchange money, they would have to, you know, buy items for sacrifice and so on and so forth. And God had really originally established it to where all of that uh, uh, business. Uh, items that needed to take care of to be able to have all of the sacrifices done was to be outside of the temple grounds, outside of, in fact, we, we've, we've seen through where when you're standing up there, it's like it's right out there, it's outside of the city wall, and, and so all that would take place out there so that when you would come in, all the business stuff was, was done and, and so forth, and then you would come in, and what happened over the decades was it was outside the wall, and it began to move closer to the wall to the entry gate and then it came inside the entry gate and then it actually began to be placed in the court of the Gentiles. Why? Because literally the priesthood of the day was like at a convention. They were selling spots for you to be able to sell and exchange. It wasn't about the Lord anymore. It had become a convention money-making operation And so God comes in and the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, comes in and he sees this taking place and he's in essence, it's like, I never designed it this way. I never called it to be this way. What is the world is going on? And he turns over the tables in anger. (laughs) 
But why by the time of the end of the book of John does he still go to the cross for these people? To make salvation available for all who would receive him. Why? Turn to John 3. A very familiar verse. Verse 16. Why? Why? Why does God continue to not only just be in relationship, but to be the one through the entire Old Testament. He is the one who is pursuing relationship, initiating relationship. He is the one establishing it. He is structuring relationship. He is inviting relationship to him, even though the broken people like us continue to fail, continue to push him away, continue to say no to him. Why does he continue to do that? Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would have eternal life. And verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to that the world might be saved through him. Again, and again, and again, and again. And his love never ceases or fails. John 8. John 8. Verse 10. The woman caught in adultery. Jesus stood up. And said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go. Sin no more. Why would he do that? John 11. John 11. Verse 33. At Lazarus. Lazarus has died. In verse 33, don't have time for the context of it, but it says that when Jesus, just outside of the area where everything is going on, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come to also weep over the death of Lazarus, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you led them? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. Why? Why did he weep? I'm convinced from the text that he sees everything that's going on and out of the text he sees people not getting it, they're lost. They're not understanding the hope that is in Christ. They don't get it all, just like us. And he weeps over them. Not a weeping of you saps, I'm so tired of you. You're just unfaithful every day, every hour, all the time. I just want to, not that. He weeps over them out of the context is the idea of just poor sheep without a shepherd. I'm here. And I love you. John 13. He washes the disciples' feet. Why? Because that's our God. John 18. He's taken, beaten. He's in a sham of a trial. In verse 17, 25, and 27, Peter says, I don't know him. I'm not him. I had nothing to do with him. 
And yet later in Acts, Peter is proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. That's our God. John 19, verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scriptures, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. Why? Why would he do that? After centuries and centuries and centuries of humanity, and failure and brokenness and dirty and muddy and annoying. Come on, Lord. Grateful for this building, even though we've got a bad roof. And I'm grateful for our Savior, even though you and I are broken to pieces. Last two. Revelation. <laughs> Excuse me. 19. Let me breathe. Revelation 19. Then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and the one sitting on it is called faithful does that make sense now and the one sitting on it is called faithful because from beginning to end he has been faithful though we have not He has been faithful to loving, to pursuing, to providing, to making available, to dying on the cross for all who would receive him. He is faithful and true. Revelation 21, the end here. Karen, can I have a Kleenex? Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth, i.e., with all its brokenness, has passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Why would God's people ever be considered the bride of Christ? Are you kidding me? The truth of the matter is, the bride of Christ, in and of herself, is really ugly. Dirty, Bad, ugly, and yet still his bride. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with those that are redeemed in Christ. And he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away why why 
Would God continue in relationship like that? Because that's our God. And I don't get it. Because it makes no sense to us, does it? See, we get things because we deserve them. We've earned them. We've worked for them. Grace is free and no stones, no strings attached. And that's our God. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, made us alive together with Christ, raised us up with him, seated us with him, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Why do relationship with people? Why do relationship even when it's hard? Because that's our God. Doug, people are so annoying. Oh, I know. Trust me. Pastor Doug, people are so messy and covered with mud. They are. We are. Pastor Doug, people are so selfish and so take advantage of. I know. And so are we. But Doug, doing relationship with people takes time. Oh, I know. But people are so busted and complicated and hurtful and broken. I know. And yet the God of Scripture continues to pursue us continues to love us. Therefore, be imitators of your God. Lord, I hope somewhere out of this Spirit of God will use this most of all to encourage. Theologically, you have ordained relationship. You are the one who has created relationship, whether that be relationship with you, whether that be relationship with others. Whether that relationship with others includes certainly with humanity, whether that relationship in Scripture certainly includes that of with God's people, and relationship certainly includes the the multi-aspects of that even in in, in family life, whether that be marriage with the spouse, whether that be uh, children, whether it be children to parents, parents to children. God, we, we live in a life just full of relationships. And you've ordained that. That is by your design, your hand. And yet, we're broken people living in a very broken world. And God, it's that second theological truth that honestly causes me and most of us to want to run and to hide and to push away from when they really get messy and hard. And and yet, Lord, just as a basis of theology of this, it's the fact that you have called us to do relationship. You did not just create it, and it's not just broken, but you've actually, in light of that, you've called us to engage in relationship. Oh my, that's hard to do sometimes. 
Sometimes doing that is such life-giving. Just even last night, Karen and I going out on a date with a young dating couple. What a blast. How life-giving. And yet in it, Lord, relationships with humanity, relationships even with our own brothers and sisters in Christ, relationship within our own families can be hard and heavy. And I'm sure that has to be taking place of that weightiness even in this room here today. I don't take away the weight. God, I would pray that because of who you are would cause us to step back and reconsider how we are functioning in relationship with you and how we are viewing and doing relationship with others. I would pray that we would never forget you, God of creation, who never leaves, never forsakes, never gives up. Father, I would pray this morning if there's someone in this room that does not know you as their Savior, that has not come to that place, where they have made the decision to drive the stake in the ground and receive Christ as their Savior for their sin condition to bring them back in relationship with you. God, I pray today they would make that decision. They would ask about that decision because it's an eternal relationship decision forever and for today. You are a God of relationship. Help us to be more like you. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray.